What's up, guys? This is Matt from the Human Animal Podcast. I am super excited today to be reunited with the Three Musketeers. Finally, it's been too long. I know. I know far too long. Jake and Nate here with me today. Boys, how you doing? Wonderful. Doing it's, very well. It's a great Monday. Yeah, it's a, a thanks for all the detail. It, it's it's <laughs> <laughs> the snow is melting. It's it's kind of nice. It's like thirty three degrees, the warmest it's been in I don't know a week. Mm-hmm. I, was, I I feel like I should be sunbathing right now, <laughs> getting your vitamin D. Wim Hof would be sunbathing right now. We talked about him with Will. Mm. He's a beast. Yeah, remember the guy? You know what I'm talking about? Did you no. already forget what I talked about? Well, thank you. All right. Uh, <laughs> he's the guy who can who trained his immune system to respond to the cold. Like he can control it with meditation and breathing in his mind. Mm. So he can just sit in like ice buckets and not his core temperature won't drop. I've seen a guy who does it who ran like barefoot and he was good to go for like long distance. Yeah, and scientists were like, we don't know how you're doing this. Yeah, it's it's that yeah. kind of stuff. He actually, I think he has a TED talk now. Which is pretty cool. It might have been where I saw if it. A, if it's a TED Talk, I mean, it's probably legit, right? It, Dude, TED Talks are There's super nothing legit. more legit than TED Talks. I could watch those Except things. Except for Wikipedia. How did you guys find TED Talks at the beginning? You know, that's a really good question. I don't remember. It's been a long time. I, I feel like it was right around the end of college for me, mm-hmm. and they started becoming popular, and I think there was just one or two that got shared. Yeah, and it was kind of like oh TED Talks, and they had an app on the iPhone that you could you know watch mm. videos or, or like like you know stream videos. And I think the first one I watched was about um, the psychology of happiness, which is actually yeah segue segue segue. Did you see that <laughs> see that cop on the segue? Um, is a great segue to what we're going to talk about today. This is an emergency pod for us. This is yeah. not our normal yeah. schedule. Yeah, we do not usually talk to each other on Mondays. No, yeah, yeah we mostly avoidance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's basically shame, right? <laughs> shame until we we get over it. But no, uh, I had a trip to Chicago this past weekend, and um, just a lot of time in the car, so a lot of time to talk. And also uh, listen to different material that I don't normally get a chance to check out. And uh, it was awesome. So I had a really good experience um, coming back. And I'm going to give a little... And I I basically came in today and said, guys, I had an epiphany and I need emergency pod. This is like like, uh, an anchorman when they send out, you know, the... uh, They blow into the seashell. I'm coming, Ron. You know, like <laughs> the, bad signal. Yeah, the bad signal. Yeah. I sent out the it's bad the signal, signal today, and uh, these guys are gracious enough to to use their lunch to come in and talk with us. So I'm pretty stoked. Um, we might actually be too loud on here. How's that? We're trying to get the volume right, but I feel like I'm almost blowing up now. Because you start getting excited. I know I'm, I do. We'll try yeah. that. If it's so loud that it's grainy, oh well. Um this is this is performance art. So we're going to start off. Uh, they and also Nate and Jake don't really know what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I was just going to bring this, that up. Like I was trying to get Matt to tell me what this podcast is going to be about for like four hours this morning, and he was just like, I was focused what, on coaching. He was just like changing the subject like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> like we weren't even coaching. Like just thirty minutes ago, I was like, "So Matt, what's this going to be on?" He's like, "Well." You know, there's snow outside right now. Have you now. seen Greta lately? <laughs> She's the cutest pup. Um, 
Yeah, I just had one of those moments where, and I've talked to you guys about this before, how my buckyball of knowledge theory, that you have all these different molecules of knowledge and they're kind of connected to each other in a more or less random pattern. And every once in a while, you run across something that changes how you view the entire structure of your knowledge. So I had one of those, Epiphany. And I gotta, we got to give a shout-out to uh, our sister podcast, which obviously they don't even know we exist. But This American Life, probably like the <laughs> most popular radio show pro- uh, podcast of all time. Uh, I'm sure they know about. Uh, You're welcome for the shout the out. The human animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome for boosting your numbers. By like three. Yep. So wow. they just had a, a recent episode, uh, episode 504. And if you want, you can you can shut this off right now and go download it and listen to it and then come back to here. As um, long as you come back to here. But please come back. Yeah, uh, come otherwise, back. there's going to be a little mini spoilers, but even if you listen to this, the episode I still think will have a ton of uh, pack a ton of punch for you if you go back and listen to it. But basically, um, Michael Lewis, who is a world-renowned writer, um, he wrote Moneyball, which was made into the Brad Pitt movie, also wrote The Big Short and, and several other books that are New York Times bestsellers and maybe even award winners. Um, he basically takes over the show, and he follows around uh, this guy um, who is now, I believe, a professor at the University of Chicago Economics and up for... Uh, is being talked about as being a, a, a future Nobel Prize winner in economics. Okay, and he was a Bosnian refugee, and basically through the way he tells it, it's in it's him telling his life story, kind of how he sums up his life story, and then they go and fact check it. Okay, so his kind of life story, his narrative is that, uh, you know, I just these many, many, many lucky things happened to me. And I am like, you know, I I didn't get here out of my own hard work. You know, basically it was a series of events and I am like the most blessed person. And so basically the story is so amazing that they go through and they just want to find out, you know, um, and it all hinges on this one point where he basically uh, – plagiarized he remembers plagiarizing an essay from another language and turning it in and his teacher his uh substitute teacher or intern teacher thinking that he was so amazing that he uh that she got him out of that school into a private school and that led him to be getting into harvard brilliant idea okay um so he but then he never he never saw her again after this and uh it's just an incredible story they end up tracking her down finding her, and then getting her version of the story, of his life story, the way he tells it. And there are some discrepancies. And he basically, this PhD, uh, world-renowned scientist, is kind of like, I don't know if I believe her. Because the story is so integral to how he views himself and how he views his life. And the really interesting part comes in here where his wife says, yeah, you know, he is the happiest person I've ever met. All my friends say it, and that's why I married him. I just wanted to learn how to try to be that happy. And so this got me, this got my wheels turning, this, like, punchline that I don't know for Michael Lewis, I don't know if it was just, like, if he realized what an epiphany it would be or if he was just trying to find a nice sum to the story and a really nice ending, kind of finishing punchline. 
But he punched me over. He knocked me over because my wife and I start talking in the car. And I realize the, a couple of things. And this is kind of how the, the flow goes for me. We know from neuroscience today that memory is ever-evolving and that what we remember is actually probably not accurate at all. We add stuff to it when we hear other people talk about stories. Uh, we meld them in. I say that I remember. I often will say, like, oh, I remember that from when I was a kid. I don't know if I remember it or if I've just seen a photograph and heard the story so many times that now it's a memory for me. Mm-hmm. And so... The first kind of weird concept is that memory is living and ever-changing, right? Mm. So our experience becomes memory. Yeah. But that's not the same thing. They don't equate necessarily, right? The second thing is that from these memories, we all tell ourselves stories about our life. And I think this is something that we often repeat over and over again. As humans, we like creating narratives out of chaos, out of chaotic environments and chaotic situations. We like having that neat storyline, and I think it's part yeah. of our humanity. Yeah, that's why we like puzzles. I, uh, p- puzzles. Think about um, the stories we've told ourselves for millennia, the yeah. stories that define um, our uh, societies and our different yeah. empires. Uh like, stories are powerful, powerful, powerful for us. Now, what's interesting is the idea that these narratives can be based on, like, our own personal narrative can be based on memory that's faulty and that we might add to or subtract to as we go. And that these narratives are things, this is comes right into you, Nathan, our, our self-talk. Mm-hmm. These narratives are kind of like our self-talk all the time that we're constantly constructing and usually repeating to ourselves. For example, um, my narrative, I felt like resonated with the main character in this plot a lot. I feel like, all right, I'm kind of this lost little puppy. I'm the luckiest guy to meet this wonderful woman out of chance because I started a dancing club in, high, in uh, college that got me hired into this job. We somehow make it through long distance. I'm blessed enough to go to UNC out of state, which is really difficult. Then I somehow luck into a job in Japan, which I was wanted to do for my entire life. I live over there. I somehow maintain my relationship with this woman. She comes and lives with me. She inspires me to stop sitting on my hands and start training people. I somehow get people that actually want to train with me, then come back and somehow... It's like there's a somehow. Somehow the uh, lady in the admissions office at IU where Valerie is going to check out tells her that, oh, yeah, I know this gym I go to that has – they take on interns sometimes. You should see if your husband can get over there. Somehow have an interview. Somehow get a, an internship. Somehow get a job. Somehow am living my dream. Like, And it's almost like I've removed that uh, – hard work from it. I mean, there obviously was, but in my mind, my narrative is that I'm just like overly blessed and lucky compared to most people. And I'm also generally really happy most of the time. And what they explored and what they really brought into sharp contrast for us was that the narratives that other people tell themselves oftentimes are, man, I deserve this or you know this this thing happened to me and it was out of my control 
and it's a negative narrative. And that can start really early. And once that narrative starts where that's the things you start recognizing about the world or viewing in the world, and that's the narrative, the perspective that you weave, that now modifies every other experience you have and modifies the memory that you make of it and modifies how the narrative becomes. And I just, it just like the world like seemed to open up for me where I was just like, oh my gosh, this is how people spiral out and become negative, cynical people who don't ever seem to take pleasure in things. This is how we have these super energetic people that just seem every, seem like every day is a blessing and they just can't soak in enough life energy. What if, you know, all the psychology things that we think about and all these other things, um, what if it comes down to storytelling? What if it comes down to our own personal storytelling that we tell, tell ourselves day after day? And what does that mean for how we can affect our happiness? You know, I would, I would say that, um, that the, the storytelling, the storyline, you know, Matt, you, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's, it's the self-talk. It's the, um, uh, it's it's understanding our circumstances in a way that we create and with a lot of mindfulness it's really just taking people from this oh bad crap has happened to me to look at how fortunate i am that i was born with the ability to hear you know, look, look at how fortunate I am to have disposable or disposable thumbs, not disposable. That would be really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's, it, it kind of takes, um, it, it kind of hijacks that negative narrative that you were talking about. And it, it starts to create a positive narrative. And I, I can definitely see how uh, the two can be easily married. And I also can see how, and you know, we give people advice that this is really where the habit building comes into play. That there is no thing, exercise, anything that you can do to change your mindset overnight. There's no, you have to very probably painstakingly work on crafting yourself a new narrative. And, um, you know, this goes right into habit building about how habit building one step at a time, small enough that it seems silly and easy and, and repeated until mastery is attained before moving on to anything else. And, uh, this is another thing that we, uh, I just talked about on the radio with, uh, Kev, um, last weekend, uh, maybe one of the first things is a gratitude journal. Where every day, and keep it simple, every day you wake up and you just write one thing down that you're grateful for. I started doing this last week, and I actually tweeted this out, and I got the most response, uh, more responses to this tweet, and like outpouring of love than anything that's ever happened to me on social media, which was amazing. And it was just, you know, why don't you start today by just, you know, telling someone that you're thankful for them, why you're thankful for them. And then finishing with, like, thank you, Nathan. Like, really just finishing with thank you, Nathan, holding their eyes, their their gaze, 
meaning it and if you and what kind of positive effect that can that have only on yourself but what about someone else's narrative now you know and we i think we look at the world as this like serendipitous sometimes you know randomized chaos um and you know there's always been those like i'm thinking about those different commercials where like one person does something nice for someone and then it goes to the next person and everyone's like oh pay my god forward. pay it forward it's so amazing but in light of this understanding of of habit change and um narrative and storytelling and happiness and how we kind of have yeah it seems to make sense to me yeah i think that's something that we've actually been uh digging into a little bit more at the gym you know i don't know if you guys noticed but last week we started the team meeting with you know what was your win from last week Mm -hmm. you know if you just just pick one thing and and we've been starting a lot more meetings that way so that hopefully you know throughout the meeting we can find more positivity because we're already primed to looking for the positive right it's like looking through rose-colored glasses it's your perspective is gonna is gonna change the way you see everything whether that's you know you you lose a family member and and you, you i'm so sad that i lost this person and why me when you could look at it and say how fortunate was i to have somebody that i cared about so much in my life for so long yeah. So just looking at it in a different way. Yeah. You know, I, I would also say that, um, you know, looking at the positive first, mm-hmm. it, it's not necessarily just looking through a particular lens. Mm-hmm. I think it's more you're per, you are participating with your experience differently. That it's um, that just because you're acknowledging the positive things that are going on, it doesn't mean that it's a different view of this ultimate reality. Um, you are creating a more positive life and more positive experience that you're uh, defaulting to seeing uh, the wins before the losses is perhaps a more realistic view of reality <laughs> in quotation reality. Well, that's, that's what it's, you're interest, it's interesting because, yeah, what is reality? What can we, you know, we get into this very fundamental question of is it, you know, these these kind of cliches that I've heard throughout time that, I mean, I kind of threw away. Like, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss. I, that's where I think this, like what we're talking about now could go wrong where people take what I'm saying about like this, this narrative that you tell yourself and they feel like, Oh, if I just ignore all the bad things or if I, you know, that's not what I'm, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an awareness that, uh, allows for grace. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh before. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. but he has this teaching where, um, he looks at uh, emotions as seeds. Um, and you can have a seed in a basement, like in a storehouse, or you can bring a seed up into the living room and cultivate it in a pot and let it have water and let it have sunshine and it'll sprout and it becomes much bigger. It becomes much more present in your life. And so he classifies things as positive, neutral, and negative. 
And so all experiences and emotions fall within those somewhere within those three categories. And so you can choose to cultivate a garden from more positive seeds than negative seeds, or you can choose to cultivate a garden of more negative than positive. And so it all depends on what you're doing with those seeds and which ones you're choosing to give nutrition and love and sunshine to, you know, are, are you constantly cultivating anger? Are you constantly cultivating, uh, frustration, impatience and negativity, or are you cultivating grace? Are you cultivating kindness? Are you cultivating gratitude and being a participant in what garden you're cultivating is huge. You know, if, if people can realize that they're practicing and reinforcing certain things in themselves, I mean, that, that is the ball game. That is, that is how we experience this life. You know, will, will I allow myself to practice being unhappy or will I decide to practice being happy? You know, to me that, that is, I know when I heard that for the first time, I was kind of like, what? That's bunk. And then I really kind of sat and I thought about it. Um, and, you know, I challenge our listeners to do the same thing. Just sit and think about that it, for a while. I, I challenge our listeners to walk and think about it. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. But, um, you know, it, it, that's something that really changed how I viewed my experience. So it's, um, it, it ties right back into... Um, being grateful, it ties right back into how you understand your life narrative. So we could actually go back and being that our memories are ever-changing and that we don't remember them properly, we can go back and, and uh, rewrite our narrative. That's where, that's where, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm out of my league with the psychology stuff, but my sense is that it's got to be you have to change your the environment in which you are experiencing things and that's got to be pervasive and long term yeah and that like you're not i mean if you can consciously trick yourself into something it seems a little bit weird i know i mean for one thing i used to do i mean i did do a little bit of, of hypnosis on myself at one point uh i don't know if you guys have ever done this but growing up um, when I first started getting in health and fitness, I started training myself to every time I saw a Taco Bell or a McDonald's commercial on TV, I would think to myself, poison, 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 poison. And to the point where then when, instead of my reaction being, oh, that looks so good, it was like, oh, gross. Poison. Poison. There's a great Japanese song where the only English word they use is poison. Just so you guys know. That is possibly the most random fact yeah. we've ever brought up on. I might, you know, what, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can find a little clip of the song and put it in here. Um, is there ten seconds or less? All right, yeah. we're gonna be, we're gonna be back in ten seconds. Here's cute Japanese pop song from the early '90s. I don't think we actually have to sit here and count it out. <laughs> Just cut it. But yeah, 
I, I was gonna intentionally create an awkward silence. Yeah, so if great. so if we didn't actually end up putting it in there, they would say, oh, "Okay, we're gonna pause and look this up." Yeah. See, my thought was, I was going to appreciate that silence because you know you don't always get to have silence. And yeah. if we're looking at it in a positive light, it wasn't awkward. <laughs> so uh, I see what you did there. Yeah. We could. The three things that I would say really quick about like what I would take away from this. Pay attention to the stories that you tell yourself every day. And that internal dialogue, that being mindful of what they're saying. We've said this in different ways, but hopefully now you have kind of a, a new interesting perspective to look at that from. Pay attention to the stories you tell other people. What are the stories that you most want to share with other people on a day-to-day basis? Are they the stories about how you miraculously uh, fell in love and got out of uh, a refugee in Bosnia and became successful and just, like, love your life? Or are they stories about how this thing's broken, this thing doesn't work, uh, my relationship with this person is so terrible? What are the narratives that you are creating for yourself and for other people. Yeah. And even in the most challenging times, you know, I, 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 as you were kind of describing the, you know, this person's narrative and kind of the key points in his life, I, I was kind of going through my own story a little bit. And one of the key points in, in my life is when, uh, my father who was in the hospital for a long time with a chronic illness and we almost lost him twice. Um, and he, uh, he was in the hospital for, I believe it was 25 days, 21 days, something somewhere around there. And, um, during that time, you know, it's like my entire family was scared. I mean, we, we almost lost him several times. And so, um, everyone was a bit traumatized by that, but I think it's one of the most critical moments in my life because I learned the value of family. Um, you know, it, every day walking, uh, to the hospital from my school, which was right across the street, going up to the 10th floor, I could still take you to that same room today. And, uh, and sitting with my family and doing homework and having dinner and being by my dad's bed it's like that was critical. Like I would not be the same person I am today had I not learned how much I love my family and how important that is to me. Um, and so, you know, it, that part of my narrative, I guess, is a, is a good example of this, of this making a positive out of a negative. You know, my dad almost died. I was traumatized by by that and instead my family is really close and we still to this day you know all my siblings call each other we never say goodbye without saying i love you and giving each other a big hug like it just doesn't happen and so creating something positive out of a negative situation or just looking for it just being aware that there is positivity coming out of even the most challenging situations. That that reminds me of something from when I was younger. I had a um, my cousin's, uh, not like a. So it's my father's 
sister, her children um, have a, a grandmother that was not directly related to me. But uh, she died, and, and I was probably in third grade at the time. And after the funeral, we were hanging out at my grandmother's house, and my cousin said, do you remember what the last thing you said to her was? I couldn't remember. And, and you know, I had seen her, you know, around multiple times, and she was a, ver- a very nice lady, but I couldn't remember the last thing that I had said to her. And so it made me think, and from that moment on, like you said, I was certain to always say, I love you whenever I would be leaving the presence of my family. And so it would be even, you know, when my parents would tuck me in and if I would say, I love you. And then they said something else to me and I had to respond. Then it was again, love you as the last thing that I said. You were a cute kid, right? I was adorable. I like that. (laughs) I like that a lot. Well, very similar. So my question is then what, like Nathan, Do you feel like that experience, because it was community-based, like that that response was kind of had by all, that response was had by all, and so that helped you derive your response? Or do you feel like that is a memory that over time, now you look back on as a, as a crucial moment? Like when you were in the moment, did things change immediately? Or do you feel like it was something that everyone kind of, experienced and then in their own way there was like this collective memory that kind of changed everyone's you know behavior yeah i i would say it's definitely more of a collective memory you know we um you know we were really close as siblings and it was just someone said something like wow like how did it's like looking at most families siblings are not this close like how did we all get so close and like we all thought back it's like an independently we came to this idea that, yeah, you know, those those three, three and a half weeks, you know, every afternoon sitting in this, you know, 10 foot by 10 foot room together was, you know, that was it. That was where we all had something in common and we all had this common struggle and we all um, became really close through it. You know, so I would say that the, the community aspect... Um, is huge. You know, it's like we, we are, um, as Matt might put it, we are tribal animals. You know, we are, um, you know, we're, we deal with groups, we function in groups. And I think that that, that having a healthy group is also key to this mindset change and to this, uh, key to participating in your narrative, you know, in that you do need, sometimes you need other people, um, to be positive, to help build your story out a little bit. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. You know, there's, it it helps a lot when there are other people around you who are positive, you know, it's like, what, what do they say? It's like, Name the people who you spend, the four people who you spend the most time with. And five, like, five, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time around. Exactly, exactly. And it's like we experience our world and our life through other people and with other people. And it's like you can't separate that. Nor would, nor should, we, I mean, we are social, we are, we are hyper social animals is how I've heard it put before. To the point where, you know, other people's body language and 
uh, behavior we can physically feel, uh, like literally through the limbic system in our brain, we physically feel other people's uh, pain or emotion. And so it does, you know, it's interesting to me, I'm just thinking about like the bigger picture, like we have our society as a whole, we always try to find these superhero stories to tell right about people that have done incredible feats and we share them. Um, and I think I'm just, you know, postulating, but it's almost like that's a, a natural drive to find, to find those positive stories. But I feel like they fall short because they're not from your tribe. Mm -hmm. And I've, and I've seen local people, changing people that are close to you changing or having an empower, uh, incredible story that affects you when things are so far removed in the same way that you know we hear stories about horrible things happening all the time and we distance ourselves from them i think the same unfortunately the same thing happens of the positive stories maybe fortunately because if we really took to heart all the horrible things we hear on the news all the time i don't know if i would still be a sane person yeah well you know, I would challenge people. This is kind of an interesting experiment that I did. I, um, I think it was for about six months. I tried to avoid all negative narrative, and that was uh, that was violence. That was, uh, you know, just people cheating, people doing just bad things, which meant that I wasn't paying attention to the news. I couldn't watch most movies because they have violence or people are being taken advantage of or, um, you know, just negative sports, terrible things. Well, I mean, I was, I was, I could watch sports because that was competition. That wasn't a negative narrative. And so it really changed how sensitive I was to all that stuff. It's like, I, uh, I picked up a video game after doing that and it's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe that I used to do this all the time. Like, mm. it's just like, mass murder it's like cutting it's like doing a sugar detox you cut it out and then you know you taste the the sensations all the more richly the 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 subtle variations in flavor mm -hmm. yeah. um so i guess and then now we're getting off on another topic but what would the argument be for like you know you, know, you spend some time in monasteries mm -hmm. and i think there's been this kind of in my mind uh, a classic argument that if you remove yourself from the world you therefore can't affect it anymore yeah. 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 Like you're it's, not taking part in the conversation. It's the same, you know, like, oh, if you don't vote, then you can't complain. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, which is actually one of the reasons why, um, again, kind of tangentially related, but one of the reasons why I stopped being vegan was because I realized that I was taking my vote out of the economic system and I wanted to give money to the people who I thought were killing and harvesting animals ethically and raising plants ethically. And I was like, why am I not empowering these people to do what I think is right? Like to me, that's, that seemed wrong. It seemed, I seemed, I felt just as guilty not participating as I did giving my money and support to people who I disagreed with. And you know, that, that's one reason why I'm not currently 
in uh, in a monastery. You know, is because I, you know, if if it really came down to, I want to only pursue the most, you know, um, the most mindful, the most peaceful, the most happy path I can find. I would probably be in a monastery right now, but it's not just about that. I know it's always more complex. I mean, I, I understand. I mean, I said this this morning. Onions have layers, right? <laughs> Ogres have layers. I mean, everything is so much more complicated. And you know, I think this is, you know, this is part of the danger of trying to make. We try to pull narratives out of chaotic information, and we try to make decisions. Oh, this is how it is, mm-hmm. and it's never that simple. You know, I want someone to tell me, is it better to buy a uh, car that has uh, high mileage per gallon of gas or an electric car? Which one is actually better for the environment 50 years from now? Yeah. But or, literally, or is it or is it better to get a gas guzzler so you uh, take up as much gas as possible so you can somehow influence gas prices to go up so there's more incentive oh, yeah. to sure create electric seemed, cars. Come on, Nathan, we're trying to we're trying to be serious. This is about reality. <laughs> no, uh but you know what I mean? Like the and then if you really look at that simple question, mm-hmm. there are so many pieces to that that it's it, again it's it's one thing I always come back to is I'm gonna keep trying to understand more, but I always do it with uh the humility that it's probably not I'm probably not capable of understanding. Yeah. And that I I don't believe that I need to be capable of understanding in order to make good decisions. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. it, I think it's uh humans are really arrogant a lot of the time well, about what we're capable of. Well, and we're kind of slaves to this I have to know. I mean, can't isn't it wonderfully freeing when you say, I really, I don't know. I can try to know, and I will try to know, but I, I probably won't ever find the whole story. You know, I probably won't know in the ultimate sense. Yeah, we're, it's always a balancing line. It's, I'm not removing myself from this. I'm going to keep engaging, but I, I understand. Again, like even our own, even our own uh, emotions and interactions are are difficult to even understand sometimes. It sometimes. It, I mean, we're just—it's so <laughs> fascinating. We're such complex people and beings. But anyway, thanks for emergency potting with me. Yeah, no, it's thanks for the invite. <laughs> yeah, I hope you it, guys had fun. Th- this is always fun. You know, we should um, we should bring up some of this more. Uh, uh, philosophical. You know, the, the philosophical. I wanted to say existential. I thought you were going to go existential, but I mean, it's, this isn't really an existentialist conversation. But you know, along those lines. Yeah, but I mean, again, bringing it, we just this is these are the conversations that we engage in and want to engage in, and we also engage in uh, engage in detailed conversations about fitness and nutrition and other things. But I think we we really believe that this is part of it too, is understanding some of this stuff. And um, so pay attention. What stories are you telling yourself? What stories are you telling other people? And wh- how could you make a change? Yeah. And, you know, the this really has to do with our base motivations. You know, we talk about having goals and understanding our own motivations and fitness. And 95% of it comes back to who do you think you are? Who do you think you want to be? 
who are you? What are you telling yourself? You know, and it, it comes back to these things. So these are not just random ramblings of three bearded men. This is like <laughs> new podcast name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it, it, re- it really does affect fitness and how we approach it and how as coaches we can help our clients get to where they want to be. So, yeah, then there's the entire like, how do we foster things and. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Too many layers of onion. My eyes are watering. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Time to back off. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. And we will be back. Our next episode will be with uh, Jeff Turner, one of my favorite people. So I'm excited to have him on the pod as well. Um, yeah. So look forward to that. And everyone have an awesome week. All right. Have a wonderful week, guys. Thanks for tuning in.